Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 31 of Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and if today is your first time tuning into the program, I just want to briefly share with you the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders because my goal is to offer you hope and encouragement through stories each week of people that have dedicated their lives to being servant leaders and honoring God. Because what I know is that when you do that, blessings just naturally follow as a byproduct of that service. Because all of us, regardless of our background, our upbringing, all of us are called to be ministers in some way because each of us are given special gifts by God. And we are called to use those gifts to love and serve others such that if we see a need anywhere around us from any person or situation we observed, it's our obligation to fill that need. And we've heard from people in all walks of life in the previous weeks and months of this show. We've heard from people in the military, business, faith, community, and family, all servant leaders that are getting after this idea of loving and caring for other people. And just last week in episode 30, we heard from Father Jim Drucker and Dr. Ken Hartman. And these two individuals are servant leaders within the community and their faith. And what they really tried to emphasize is that through their medium of radio and media and faith, these gentlemen are able to really reach out and they have people that they're able to communicate with and they're able to influence people's lives and help build them up through their ministry and through their work in education and faith. And the most important thing I heard from them is to follow God's call for your life. So if you didn't have a chance to tune in last week, please go back and listen to the podcast of it. So just a little bit about me for this week. As you know, I'm a retired military officer, but something I haven't shared with you in the past is I was also very close with my grandparents, and I have a real passion for veterans and the elderly. All too often, these two groups are discarded, considered that maybe not needed by society or not valued or not given the worth that they really have. And so today I have two great examples of servant leaders in our community that know the real value of the elderly and veterans. And that's Mr. Michael Van Stein and his wife, Kathleen Van Stein. So Michael was the executive director for Spectra Care Foundation. He was also the president of Health First Spectra Care, as well as the chairman and CEO of Workforce 21. Kathleen was the co-founder of Spectra Home Care and currently serves the Senior Director for Community Relations at Spectra Care. So when we come back from the break, I'll be joined in both segments today by Michael and Kathleen Van Stein. Stay with us. We'll be right back. There's a bit of love. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel love. You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. 
And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Michael and Kathleen Van Stein. Michael and Kathleen, are you on the line? Yes. Hey, Paul. Hey, first of all, thank you so much to you and Kathleen for being on the program here today and taking time out of your Sunday to be on the show. Oh, it's our pleasure to do it. Absolutely. Well, Michael, you and your wife have been in this uh, field for quite a while. So if you don't mind, I'd like to start off by really understanding, and if you would share with the listeners, why such a passion for healthcare and social work? What was the genesis of your work in this field together? Well, I'll let Kathleen address the social work part because she's a certified social worker with a lot of passion, I might add. Um, in my case, I, my background was in public job training programs. Uh, I worked in Philadelphia for a succession of agencies, the Area Manpower Planning Council, Office of Employment and Training, the Private Industry Council, and so on. And all those agencies were involved in uh, cultivating uh, strategies for recruitment and training of workers. Um, one of the clients in my portfolio of accounts was uh, geriatric and medical companies, which was at that time the largest geriatric uh, healthcare provider in southern, southeastern Pennsylvania and southern New Jersey. But it was one of maybe 150, but they were very needy of uh, nurses and um, AIDS, uh, certified nursing assistants. Mm -hmm. So I just ended up getting deeper and deeper and deeper into elder care. <laughs> And uh, actually, it was through that company, because I was director of human resources, and Kathleen was a social director of social services in one of our facilities, and that's actually how I met her. Wow. Kathleen, you can maybe talk about what your passion is about social work. So, hi, Paul. Thank you so much again for having Michael and I. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you, Kathleen. Uh, my passion for social work had started actually at a very young age. Um, I was a caregiver for my mom's mother, which is my grandmother. And just throughout my childhood into my early teens and then early adulthood, I was always a caregiver for a family member. And so when I proceeded to go to Bloomsburg University, I looked up with my counselor. I said I want to help people, got into social work. And after I graduated, I landed a job in a facility. And the passion that I had for the geriatric population was just through the roof. I enjoy it. More than anything, I learned from the elder population because they've lived life. And all throughout my career, they've always gave me advice. And so that's what I did with my social work career. And I haven't missed a beat with it. Wow. And so... As you got started with all this, and you know, I definitely understand where it got started with your family. Where, how did that progress for you? What did you do next in the industry? And you know, maybe how did you got your feet wet and started getting training with all that, Kathleen? Sure. So I well, after high school, I went to college, and then after that, I was able to. I was very lucky to get a job in the healthcare industry. So I worked at multiple different entities, uh, hospital, adult medical daycare centers, and rehab centers. And so that I started in 1989 and been here ever since. And then throughout my career, I've helped other facilities to broaden their horizons on substitute rehab for the elderly people because a lot of them would get rehab and then go back home. And then I became a very 
passionate person on helping them with discharge planning back into the community and living a more quality of life. Wow. And I have a touch of a research background. You know, I, I, I was in, I, I got in, timing was very similar to Kathleen's. I got into healthcare as that segue I mentioned around 1985, 1986. Mm-hmm. And then um, that moved in a continuum where uh, the for-profit company that I worked for spun off a nonprofit. So I started to get my feet wet in, in the nonprofit world applied to uh, caregiving, uh, healthcare and caregiving. And then uh, from there, I, I became the um, employment and training a consultant to our um, the New Jersey Healthcare Association, which is the Association of Long-Term Care Providers. And then that research is what then led us into looking at things that we could do on our own uh, to try to address problems that were in statewide in the state of New Jersey. Wow. And so it sounds like both of you have done a tremendous amount uh, to bring you to where you're at. But I wonder, I mean, through that whole process, were there some things that maybe you took away as, you know, lessons of how to be a good servant leader? And, you know, maybe this is the right way to approach people and people can receive care in certain ways. Has there been any of that for you? Um, yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, the, the, I, I think because of the way Kathleen and I both developed our careers, we ended up coming into contact with a broad base of people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, on the upper end, we're always dealing with, um, the, the background politics of, uh, of both nationally and statewide that deal with, um, these particular, uh, the, the problems that we were always addressing, but yeah. then, you know, we're always working with nurses and the entry-level employees, and quite frankly, that's kind of how we got into doing work with veterans. Um, we ended up going down a path um, when we spun off our own home care agency, where we started to learn some of the very specific peculiarities of, of where veterans were being underserved, in particular, uh, veterans that were getting a little older and heading towards retirement years and, and needed in-home health care services. And Kathleen, how about you? In your different roles, what were you able to learn about servant leadership? And especially, you talked about being a caregiver for your grandmother and other family members. I mean, there had to be some things that you picked up along the way about you know, how the right way to care for people is and showing them your heart and all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, when you do it personally with your family members, um, it's actually very different than when you're helping other families. And I say that because one of the things I learned with my family members before I started helping others is that you really have to listen to what that person is going through. Because what you think might be what's good for them, in reality, it's not. And you have to have the patience, the kindness, and open-mindedness when dealing with family members. Right. And, you know, with your own family members, sometimes that could be a little harder yeah. than, than with people that, you know, that are not your family member. But nonetheless, one of the things I did take away because it was so passionate for me that every family member I met after that when I became a certified social worker, I treated that person as if they were my grandmother or grandfather or my aunt. It, I took it very personal. It just wasn't a job for me. 
Yeah, you know, that really speaks to me, Kathleen, because uh, my grandmother, she had Alzheimer's disease. And I'm sure you know how much of a toll that can have on a person. And so she went from at one point in her life being very lucid. And I spent a lot of time with her. In fact, nearly my entire childhood I spent with her. And very, very quickly, once the disease started to develop, she took a turn for the worst and forgot who I was, forgot who her children were. And it, it was not good. And, you know, she started undressing herself and walking around and handling feces. Yeah. Like it just went really bad, really quick. And so after that, when people said the word Alzheimer's, I had a very keen appreciation for what that family might be going through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the other things, Paul, that I, Michael and I are very passionate about is when you take that person, it could be an elderly person, it could be a veteran, it could be an at-risk animal or somebody dealing with it. It's not just that person. You have to look at the whole family unit. Yeah. And because it's just not, well, the person going through Alzheimer's or the, or the veteran going through a very, you know, trauma or PTSD, but it also affects other family members yeah. in that unit. Well, Michael, let me ask you, uh, since Kathleen mentioned the whole person concept, you were briefly talking about veterans and how, in some cases, they are undervalued. And, you know, I've I've done a lot of work with veterans myself, and I've met a lot of guys, and they come back from Vietnam, and they weren't treated right when they come back from Vietnam, and some of them develop PTSD, some of them aren't able to get the jobs that they need or deserve, and in extreme cases, they wind up being homeless, but in a lot of ordinary cases, they just wind up having a whole lot of emotional pain and suffering and, you know, thoughts of despair and worthlessness and all of that. Like, what are you able to do from your foxhole to help those kind of people? Well, we, we I, I had mentioned that we, we got into uh, doing work with veterans because of the home care work that we were doing. Yeah. And that was really where we were looking at payor opportunities because it's really hard for a lot of uh, middle-class families to handle the costs. Of, of private pay from caregivers and yeah. spend down if they're going to have to put somebody into a nursing home. And yeah. there, there was a aid and a tenant's benefit, um, a line of, of resources that were available attached to veterans. It was only in the process of doing that that we began to discover exactly what you're talking about, which is, and, 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 and you know, and I'm sure we, we're in the same generation. We saw the vets coming home from Vietnam and how they were treated. They right. were spit on. They, they were looked at as though they were the reason that that, that war uh, ended the way that it did. Yep. And, and, and from that, uh, you know, what we face today, you know, Kathleen and I, are, are, our organization is part of the COVA network, which is an acronym for keeping our veterans alive. Mm. And uh, they're raising awareness of the suicide rate. Uh, which is is uh, immensely greater. It's like mm. eight times greater than the suicide rate of the general population. So in answer to your question of what we're doing, that led us to moving away from home, home care in the home towards the specialized things that we do that are therapy programs that address PTSD successfully. And we just emulated, Paul, we emulated best models that are out there. Yeah. And um, out of all of them, I have to tell you, our equine therapy program, PTSD therapy program, is the most popular. It's unbelievable. You, 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 it's, you, if you could see how these veterans relate to the horses and how the horses relate to them, it's just an incredible 
experience uh, to be a part of and, and to, to see how, how it helps. Wow. But we have other therapy programs, too. I, I love that. Well, we're going to get in the second segment. We're going to talk a lot more about the uh, the nonprofit you and Kathleen are currently running. But in kind of preparation for that, I, I wonder if there are people, Michael, that have maybe mentored you and Kathleen along the way. I mean, you certainly didn't wake up one day and say, hey, we're going to run a nonprofit and we know everything about it. There's got to be people that have showed you or helped you or gave you an example of what right looks like for what you're doing now. Well, I, I mean, I think our actual passion was internal. It's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. We both ended up developing the same way yep. from different vantage points. Mm-hmm. But I think we, we, we ended up with a, a sensitivity towards the elderly and animals because they seem to be a heavily neglected segment of the population. Yeah. So there's different people that, that held that same viewpoint that okay. affected us. Yep. But I also had an executive director, and Kathleen had some administrators that were, were definitely uh, role models to us. Excellent. And Kathleen, how about you? Did you have any mentors or people that helped to shape you into who you are today? Um, yes. And I have to say this, and I know a lot of people think that because Michael is my husband, I'm saying this, and it's not true. We always keep our relationship separate when we're dealing with the foundation, but Michael was my mentor. When I finally met him and he had the same passion and drive, I just said I knew this was the person I wanted to be with, and I knew together as a team we could accomplish more. You know, Kathleen, I am really glad you said that because um, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, Michael briefly mentions that your past kind of aligned and coincided a number of years ago, but... You know, I've been with my wife for 26 years, married for 23, and in our relationship, we've had a very profound effect on each other. We've both rubbed off on each other in certain ways, and it sounds like that's taken place with you and Michael as well. So with Michael being your mentor, what aspects of the way that he leads and his behaviors and his knowledge, how has that helped to develop you as a leader and as a person who is a caregiver? Sure. So one of the things that Michael has taught me a lot, I, going back to my social work career, I've always worked for for-profit companies. And with Michael being the executive director and the chairman of the board, he's actually teaching me because he had run a, a nonprofit. And he's teaching me how to become, you know, executive management and being a leader to then guide all of our committee members. And we are up to 24 committee members, all volunteers. Wow. And they say, Kathleen, you and Michael are always caring and giving. And besides our foundation, every day, there's not a day that goes by that I don't ask each and every one of my members, how are you today? How can I help you? I love that. And I, and I think you just have to, again, it, whether it's the nonprofit or your committee members or your friends or family, um, you just have to always say, how can I help you today? Because you always have to remember there's somebody better than you or worse than you, but everybody could always use a positive thought or a prayer or you know, a message from somebody that's there for you. 
You know, Kathleen, I love that so much because at the end of every single one of my shows, that's what I end talking about is, you know, in your daily thoughts and interactions with people, you should always try to remember to ask the question of how can I help? Because people could always use help in any walk of life. And Michael, we got about a minute left. So I'm curious, you know, what, if anything, has Kathleen been an influence for you? Oh well, Kathleen is just it, she. She is the, is a clinician by nature. She she's a, a person that brings out. Like she was talking about how she she uh, w- has worked with our committee members and um, uh, been able to pass off to them mm-hmm. her passion and get them raised to a higher level of passion. Well, she does that with me. Yeah. Because while I'm trying to teach her administrative things, <laughs> I mean, she's always teaching me how to be a better person and how to be a more caring and sensitive person, especially at times when it's not easy to do. I love it. You have to do it, you know, and it's hard to do it at that moment. Yeah. You know, it reminds me a lot of my wife. I I have a very military background, and so I'm all about getting things done, especially as an ESTJ personality type. But over the years, my wife has keep telling me, you need to be more pastoral, be more loving, be more caring, take time to listen to the person. So absolutely, I I hear that, I feel that, absolutely. All right, guys. Maybe the difference between men and women. (laughs) (laughs) Very possibly. All right, listen, we need to take a short break, but when we come back, I'm going to continue the conversation with Michael and Kathleen Van Stein. So stay with us. We'll be right back. W223CO Atlantic City. If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here this afternoon by Michael and Kathleen Van Stein. Michael Kathleen, still on the line? Yes, we are. All right. Well, listen, first of all, thank you for hanging on. Uh, You know, in the first part of the show, we talked a lot about your background and how you got to where you're at now. So in the second half, I'd like to talk a little bit about the work you're currently doing and looking at the LinkedIn background that you have and the uh, bio that you sent me. You have a lot of different things that you've done, and it seems like you still have this company, SpectraCare Foundation and SpectraCare Home Health Services, but I think I heard you say, Michael, that the home health was getting a little bit cost prohibitive to still be in. Is that right? Yeah. Um, the, the state uh, uh, was gradually increasing the level of regulation, and what we found is uh, really for a small operation like ours, mm-hmm. Uh, the billing rate structure was such that we really couldn't pass all those costs over to consumers in a way that the average person felt they could handle the hourly rate. Yeah. So we, we, we took it as far as we could take it, and, um, and, and we had already built the foundation alongside of it. So we just simply expanded the foundation as we prepared back on the home health. Uh, operation. So let's talk about the foundation then, since that's the main focus of what you guys are doing now. Can you kind of share with the listeners, what's the mission for the foundation and maybe even the five-year vision, if you've thought about it, for where you want to have the foundation go? Sure. Um, well, the foundation is is uh, a 501c3 nonprofit, obviously. And um, we, we set it up to focus with three primary uh, constituent groups uh, being uh, seniors, 
veterans and at-risk animals. Mm-hmm. And in turn, um, the, the, the thought process was to try to kind of cross-pollinate those groups. Yeah. So when we're working with veterans, we tend to more often than not be working with senior vets. Uh, when we're working with animals, we're working with senior animals. And uh, we try to ha- integrate you know, our animal programs in with the vets and seniors and so on. So we, we find that, they, that as groups, you know, they, they, they help each other. And, um, and so that we, we concentrated on developing programs in response to that. Uh, our program base, uh, I've, I've always tried to encourage our group to say when we're doing something that's horizontal in services, meaning other organizations are doing similar work or the same work even to what we're doing, but the need out in the community is so great, mm-hmm. we just try to supplement those services. Our vertical services are where we're actually doing things that are innovative in nature uh, to try to do things a little different maybe than other people are doing. And so what would some of those innovative practices be, Michael? Well, I've mentioned our therapy programs, um, which is not to say that other uh, organizations throughout the country aren't doing some of these things, um, but some of them are a little cutting edge. Like, for example, we started a photography therapy program. Wow. And we... We, we, we used a, a variation that we developed ourselves of an out-of-state program down in Virginia uh, called Seeing Lens. And um, in, the, in that type of a program, uh, while, while we use the photographic equipment and teach the veterans photographic technique, what we're also doing is getting them out into the outside world in a way that has a nurturing, kind of calming effect uh, and then we use photography as the mechanism to do a, to, to deliver a therapy service. So I have um, to ask, as a veteran and as a guy that has served in two wars, what are your criteria for people that can receive your services? Do they have to be of a certain age or a certain disability? I mean, like, could a guy like me that's 40-something years old and a vet come and you know utilize some of these therapies that you have with equine and photography, or is it meant for an older population only? No, so I can answer that part. I, as my title is Senior Director for Community Relations. Mm-hmm. Our doors are open to any veteran. Absolutely. We have a, there is no um, fee for any of the veterans. One of the, so if, when you come to the Carlton Veterans Center, who's also a Medal of Honor, and it's named after him, um, with a couple of the therapies, Equan, photography, gardening, healing art, all of these therapies are to help with the veterans. So it could be any age. Or let's just say a veteran wants to come in. We have five computer workstations. Um, Maybe a John wants to come in and use the computer because in Lindenwald alone, there are about five to 600 veterans that can't afford a computer or internet access. Um, being a medical social worker, I'm also going to be having every quarter an RN station at our facility and to do free health screening. Wow. Yeah, because a lot of the veterans cannot get to their appointment. So, yes, anybody wants to sign up for equine therapy, they would just call the number and, you know, reach me, <clears throat> excuse me, and then I would set them up for the different services that we're going to be holding. We're going to have a scheduled event because with 
different things going on at the same time. Yeah, Paul, it, it, there could, there's a waiting list for certain things. Okay. I mean, but because we're not charging a fee, sure. we don't operate bureaucratically the way the VA does. Right. So when people express an interest, we try to treat everybody equally. Mm-hmm. And if we see that there is a, a, a need that becomes more popular, like the equine program, for example, then we try to add more resources to it. So right now we, we have a great uh, relationship with um, uh, Forgotten Angels, which is a, a stable that's up in Burlington County, and um, they are also a, a rescue for the horses themselves. But because of the popularity, well, now we're trying to add some additional horse stables into the mix. Wow. Well, Michael, you and Kathleen have really piqued my curiosity. So now I have to ask. I mean, Kathleen said you just call the number and come to our facility. So I think the next really important thing is what's the number and where's the facility? If a listener is saying, man, like, I, I really want to take part in this. How can I get involved? Well, the, I, well, as far as number, what I would strongly recommend is everybody just go to our website, which is www.spectrocarefoundation.org. Because we have we have phone number for the for the for the uh, center one for the foundation and that's the best clearinghouse and maybe Kathleen might even be able to add uh, specific numbers that we use for certain things and I'll let her say that in a minute uh, but the, uh, the center is at seven 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 Blackwood Clementon Road in Lindenwald and um, now mind you people do kind of need to set up an appointment in advance mm-hmm. because we we have limited size and. Uh, limited number of parking spots. Yeah. Uh, you know, people descend there. But as long as they contact us uh, at first, you know, you know, we take everybody uh, as, as quickly as we can get to them. Wonderful. Kathleen, anything to add on that? No, that, that Michael pretty much sums it up. Um, the, um, it's, like I said, if there's a contact post, and a lot of people do go to our website, www org, and they can type in. We get a lot of um, emails at the info at Spectral Care mm-hmm. Foundation, and then I respond within 24 hours. Wonderful. So, Michael, you explained to us the mission. What would you say is the vision? Like, where do you want to have the foundation go in the next five years? What direction are you and Kathleen heading with it? Well, uh, because the building is physically located in Lindenwald, mm-hmm. and Kathleen mentioned there's 800 vets in Lindenwald, about 80% of them are Vietnam-era vets. So we try to, we're trying to concentrate on that first. Okay. And we're working with the local Lindenwald uh, 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 elected representatives, you know, that, that um, so we can get to that population closer. But then, yeah. of course, we're right on the edge of Gloucester Township and Pine Hill, and other communities that are in the media area, Clementon, our food pantry is in Clementon. And um, so we, we, we radiate that out. But from there, we want to expand to a larger footprint in Camden County and then ultimately Gloucester and Burlington County, and then try to take this as far out into southern New Jersey as possible. Now, if, if we can really prove this model works, which, by the way, heavily includes how do we financially manage it right. so that we can pay all the expenses? I mean, my hope is that we can create something that can be replicated and then uh, this type of center can then in turn be named after a Medal of Honor recipient in other communities following the same kind of script that we have of delivering these types of matrix of services. And, and then the vets can get something more than they just get from the VA. That is so wonderful. And, you know, I, I have to ask, so... 
my friend, our mutual friend, Kristen Leone, you know, she connected us a few weeks ago, and she was telling me about the tremendous sacrifice that the two of you have had to make over the last months and years to make this a reality. Would you share with the listeners a little bit about, you know, what you've had to do personally and professionally to help get the organization, your foundation, where it's at today and the blood, sweat and tears that you've poured into it? Yeah, I mean, financially, we started I, when I turned 59 and a half. I was able to take money out of my 401k that uh, without a penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because we are very Kathleen and I live only on my Social Security check. We live very modestly. But using retirement resources was the way that we were able to pick up these units in the building. And they were in really horrible shape, which is why we were able to afford them. Yeah. But then we used the foundation and raised private donation money, and we got some grants um, uh, that uh, were, were extremely helpful in renovating the interior and exterior of the building. Uh, so that, I guess, is clearly a sacrifice. Um, we have a lot of people tell us that uh, they don't know too many people that would have done that, but um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that would do it. Uh, and then in turn, it's time sacrifice. Yeah. And then, of course, I'm looking at Kathleen right now, and I know how much physical pain she's in um, because you know she has she 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 goes through a lot of physical problems. She she was in a car accident, and you know she has to be very careful about um, not hurting herself more than she is. Yeah. And then in turn, uh, you know, we we try to get what she does instead of doing so much of the direct work, you know, she tries to get the volunteers motivated to lift and move things that she can't do. I mean, we're both getting older, you know what I mean? Yeah. We can't, we can't. Yeah, I hear you. Well, it is absolutely a blessing to just see and hear about all the work that you're doing. And I, I wonder if there's a time, Michael or Kathleen, that in the work that you've done with the foundation, that God just really showed up, that you just have in your heart as, you know, a, a time that you'll never, ever forget when it was just a real blessing to you to maybe be a part of it or see it. Is there a time like that, you know, that just really jumps out to either of you? Yes, I can speak for that. So one of our committee members, his name is Reverend William Hamilton, he's a Vietnam vet, and I will never forget the day this gentleman walked in the building and I was doing a project, and I said, how can I help you today? And we started talking, and to this day, he's a very dear friend of mine, and one day he came in just recently, within a month or so, and I just sat down and I started to get a little frustrated and started to cry. And I was going to give up. And he said, no, no, my child, do not give up. You keep your head up high and you march through because what you're doing is God's work and it Mm. will radiate radiate outward to goodness. And I tell you, without his strength, his encouragement, and his faith, in both of us and in the foundation and believe all what we're doing, I don't think I could have gone on one extra day without him. Wow. And Paul, I would add to that by saying that we, the biggest capital expense we had in the building was the roof. And when you're trying to do all these repairs and the roof is leaking, you know, it's it's very uh, visceral. And we said a lot of prayers about that. And, uh, you know, to get that extensive level of repair was almost impossible to yeah. do. 
And it was amazing through everybody gathering together and one person knowing another and talking to another and, and just caring about what we were doing. Yes. And, you know, we ended up getting a, a, a generous donation that got the roof repaired. So. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, we've got about a minute and a half left. So the last thing I want to ask the both of you, you know, there might be people listening today and they might have a real heart for a particular mission, a people group, you know, just something that God has placed on their heart. But maybe they're nervous. Maybe they don't uh, know what to do for their next step. And maybe they're scared. What advice would you offer to somebody that is thinking about taking that big leap, but just doesn't know if it's the right thing, you know, just scared, apprehensive, all those things. I'm sure you've been through all that. What would you say to them? Don't buy a piece of real estate. <laughs> no, seriously, don't be afraid of, of uh, either donating your time to a quality nonprofit that is has their heart aligned with the same kind of things that they would like to do. Yeah. Uh, don't be afraid of, of uh, failure, um, you know, because failure is not an option. That's what, that's our big thing. We have that's it on it. the wall. You know? Love it. You never give up because, you know, right at the very time that it's the darkest, <laughs> yeah. I think Helen Keller said this, you know, it is the exact moment that light will come through. And we have seen that over and over and over again. Amen. But I, I would encourage any of your listeners that could help financially support what we do or come in as volunteers. We, what we, we can use all the help we can get. So if anybody in your listening audience cares about the kinds of things that we're doing with at-risk animals, at-risk veterans, and at-risk seniors, they can always come and join our organization, and they would be very welcome. Well, Michael and Kathleen, it has been a tremendous honor and a privilege to hear about all the work that you're doing with Spectre Care Foundation and all of the work that you've poured your blood, sweat, and tears into. And it really, I have learned so much just by taking to the two of you today, and I really want to thank you for being on the program. Uh, thank you for uh, allowing us to be on your show. Paul, it's been our pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you. When we come back from the break, we're going to reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we've heard from today's guests. So stay with us. We'll be right back. listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and as we close out today's show, let's just briefly think about what we've heard from today's guest, Michael and Kathleen Van Stein. So when you think about how you can serve your family, I love what Kathleen said when she mentioned that she really got her passion for social work and caring for the elderly when she was caring for her grandmother and other people in her family. And you know what that really says to me is that other people can bring out the best in us. It might seem like a difficult situation or something that nobody else wants to do, but that helped to change the course of her life and bring her to the person and the place where she is today. And then when you think about serving people through your faith, I love what Michael was talking about. And he said, you know, we had a real expense with the roof and it was falling apart and this and that. And they prayed. 
and they got a generous blessing and it was able to cover the expense of the roof. And this really just goes to, in, in my mind, when you are caring for other people and you're making a difference in their community and you're reaching out in faith, like people will know that and people will honor that. And it goes back to this idea of when you're living a life of servant leadership and honoring God, blessings will just follow. You don't have to go and chase the money. The blessings will just follow, just as it did for Michael and Kathleen. And then when you think about serving in your community, oh my goodness, like the idea of what Michael and Kathleen both talked about, listening to other people's needs, that that is paramount. You need to seek first to understand and then be understood. That's what Dr. Stephen Covey said, and that's what they do in their nonprofit. And I love it. I'm so glad they were on today to share with us their heart. And you know, very quickly, each week I talk to you about when you put good into the universe, good comes back to you. And I mentioned uh, last week, I recently was hired to be an adjunct professor for Drexel. And you know, I wanted to prepare for the class and do well and, you know, just like any other adjunct. And when I went into the class, I had a very simple question for them. And as part of their introductions, when I went around the room, I asked them, how can I serve you? That's it. Very simple question. How can I serve you? And throughout the whole class, I talked about a premise that I've discussed on this show a number of times. People want to be loved. People want to be cared for. People want to have a purpose and people want to feel like they belong. And so that was kind of the core theme throughout the class. And I really just wanted to hit home that I was not going to just read slides to them. I wanted to really care for them and help them to grow and learn. And when the class was over, and this was a first class, the introductory class, a student reached out to me and said, thank you for a wonderful class setting. I love your teaching style, energy, and the experience you bring. I hope I won't have to drop the class because of personal issues and circumstances. But in case I do, I wanted to say I've never felt more inspired at 9 p.m. You know what? Like That was a true blessing to my heart, and it made all the preparation so worth it. And I'm just honored to be able to be in that class with those students. Listen, next week, two additional great guests. I have Dr. Van Strum. He's a former director of chaplaincy operations at the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. He was also the former president of American Correctional Chaplain Association, and he now currently serves as a peer ministry consultant for Prison Seminaries Foundation. Along with him, Mr. Glenn Bloomstrom. He's a military and faith community rep for Living Works, and he's also an adjunct professor for pastoral counseling. I want to remind you to sign up for my Spotify and Apple podcast mailing list, and you can do that through my website at reverenddrpaul.com. That's R-E-V-D-R-Paul.com. And you can check out previous episodes of this show on the show tab of my site. And just like Kathleen was talking about, every week, no matter where you're at, what you're doing, who you come in contact with, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening and join us again next week. This is my confidence, you never failed me yet. I know the night will come. I know the